We're really glad to see you guys. You've probably been scared to death, wondering what in the world are we going to talk about today. We're talking about purity today. Most people just look at their feet throughout the whole sermon, so you can do better than that. We can look up, because I, I think God's going to teach us something here today. And I, my prayer is you leave today with a greater level of freedom than you've ever had uh, in your life. But those of you who are watching online, thanks for joining us today. Those of you at Buchanan, we always love having you a part of our worship experiences. And uh, we have folks in overflow today, so we, uh, we're glad you're here. It's kind of cool to see folks uh, come coming back, and so it's starting to feel a whole lot more normal, so we're excited about that. Let me just say this really quickly. Because our sanctuary, we had to reduce our seating so much to make room for folks, uh, this middle service uh, tends to be the most crowded service of the weekend, so the Thursday night service, if, you, if, if you're one of those that said, you know what, I'd like a little bit more space, I get that. Thursday night is for you. You and your family can have an entire section of the sanctuary that could just be yours. You, we'll, we'll do that for you on Thursday night, or 820 is also a chance if you look for some, if you need some more room uh, as well. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Proverbs uh, chapter 5 today. And uh, we're in a series through, through the book of Proverbs, and, and Proverbs is, is really a book about wisdom. Uh, Solomon is, is, is offering wisdom, we're going to see to his son today, about, about purity. But we, we saw uh, several weeks ago that this journey of wisdom starts when we have a proper fear of the Lord, and we fear the Lord in a healthy way, then we grow in wisdom. We saw last week that... Uh, when we really allow ourselves to be humbled, we have a correct view of ourselves, uh, die to really pride, get off the pride ride, then we can really hear from God and hear from others and we grow in wisdom. Well, today we're going to see wisdom as it relates to uh, sexual purity. God's Word has a lot to say. In fact, this is one of the longest sections in the book of Proverbs. One thing is about Proverbs is Solomon just jumps from topic to topic really quickly. It's one of the reasons why I like it, because I'm hyper. I can't stay with anything too long, but this is a longer section. And in fact, what he's doing is he's having the talk, right? He's having the talk with his son. And I want to just say a couple things about this. Obviously, he's writing Bible, so it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But secondly, let's think a little bit about who Solomon was. His father was King, King David, right? And so David had his life um, uh, his reign as king, his entire family touched by sexual immorality. Uh, David has an affair with Bathsheba. And so on the other side of that, things begin to kind of spiral in some ways. Uh, he, he commits uh, murder on the other side of that. Then there is incest inside of David's family with one of his sons raping a half-sister. That boy is murdered by another a brother. So it's just on and on drama that comes after this sexual immorality. And then Solomon, who's writing much of Proverbs, Solomon was a man who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So there's a sense today as we're listening to Solomon talk about sex, I mean, at least here's a guy who knows a little bit about what he's talking about, right, in, in, in one way. But, but secondly, here's a guy who stepped out of God's best for him, and he's talking to his son really about the consequences uh, of that. And so I say that not, not to get a laugh, but sometimes when... Uh, when, when a preacher is talking about sex and the culture, we think, well, you, you just don't have a good understanding of what's really going on. Well, Solomon had a good understanding of what's going on, right? I mean, here, here's a guy who had a 1,000 women uh, in his life, and so he's speaking under the authority of the Holy Spirit through inspiration, and he is also speaking through experience in, in, in his life. So let, let's jump in here in Proverbs chapter 5, and again, this is a long section. Uh, the... In, 
entire message today is just breaking down this talk. That's all we're going to do. We're going to look at 23 verses, and we're just going to break down verse by verse the talk he's having uh, with his son, all right? So can we do that? Nobody wants to say yes on Sex Sunday, right? Just uh, keep your head down, and we'll get through this. My son, be attentive to wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. What's he saying in verse 1? Listen up, boy. Listen up. Because what I'm about to tell you is so, so important. In fact, it just builds on what we looked at last week because a prideful person, a prideful person really can't learn from anyone. They know everything, right? And, and with, when there's pride, then we know a great fall uh, is coming. Ver, verse 2, listen to what Simon said. Simon says, Solomon said, that you may keep discretion, keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. In other words, he's saying, don't just listen to what I'm about to say to you. I want you to guard this. I want you to keep this because you're going to have to pull from these truths over and over again for the rest of your life. You're going to be challenged sexually to step outside of God's bounds just about every single day of your life. So guard this. Solomon is saying, here's what I want you to know, boy. I want you to know that really the long-term fulfillment in your life in so many ways is going to depend upon what you do with these truths, right? That's why this is so uh, super important. Verse 3, for the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. One of the things that Solomon is doing is he is personifying sexual immorality as a woman. Now, ladies get like all torn up about this, right? That is a patriarchal view of God. And, and why is sexual immorality here personified as a woman? Because he's talking to his son, right? That, that, that's why if he was talking to his daughter, he, he would do that just the other way. In fact, before you get too torqued, he personifies wisdom. Solomon personifies wisdom throughout the book as a woman. And ladies like, that's right. Yeah, no, he got that one right, yeah. He missed, you know, he's one for two. But anyways, so in other words, these truths on sexual immorality are, are for women and for, and for men. For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, verse 3, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood. Now, have you ever taken a drink of something? Like you thought it was one thing, and then you take a big drink and it was not that. And like it just kind of, it's like that gag reflex. Even if it's not a bad thing, I mean, you thought you were taking a, taking a big drink of Sprite, and it turns out it was, it was milk, and you're like, man, it just, it just kind of it gets you. And so Solomon says, when you think about sexual immorality, I mean, it, it just looks, and there is so much appeal there, and of course there's some sizzle with, with, with sex, and it'll, we say around here, it'll thrill you, and then it'll kill you, but he says it is smooth or as sweet as honey, but then when you give yourself to it, it has a bitterness to it uh, like, like wormwood, right? This bitter, so you, you went for honey, and you got horseradish. That's what, he's, that's what he's saying in the long run. And again, you said, like, like, I don't believe that. Like, I don't, I don't buy that. Again, let me just remind you who's writing here. Here's a guy with 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? So if we're prone to say, I dismiss that guy, I think we have to question that. But in the end, she's as bitter, verse 4, bitter as wormwood, sharp as a double-edged sword. Like, it, it cuts us and does real damage. Listen, can I just say this to you? No one has a chance to hurt you as deeply as someone you have given yourself to sexually. I told you this all the time. My wife is like a huge Dateline fan. I mean, lives for it. She's got the Dateline sweatshirts and hoodies and, you know, like lo lo loves D D Dateline. Every single episode 
is either, uh, you know, it's a, a boyfriend or girlfriend who kills their spouse or their boyfriend or girlfriend because they found out that they were cheating on them. I tell her, like, in the first 30 seconds, we know how this is going down, right? Not a shocker here. But what's the point? There is, this is what Solomon's saying is, listen, there is so much pain, and he's saying to his boy, I don't want you to have to experience that. Verse 5, he says, her feet, talking about sexual immorality, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. Now, again, watch this. He's not saying if you commit sexual sin, and listen, I, I think I, I want to just say this at the end of this message, because some of you are going to feel like, man, I feel so much guilt right now and so much shame. Can I just tell you, can you hold on for 15 minutes? Because there's a chance for you to leave freer than you've ever felt before. But we can't skip a step, okay? So he says, her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the way of life. Uh, will sexual sin send you to, to hell? Well, listen, what, what Solomon is saying is unrepentant sin. Like if you choose that as a lifestyle, if you want to live your life for momentary pleasure, listen, and, and, and forfeit your eternal soul, I mean, that, that's just, that's craziness, right? That, that's really craziness. And when it says she doesn't, verse, verse 6, uh, sexual immorality doesn't ponder the path of life. They just live for the moment. When we're living and under just the control of just our sexual desires, we're just living for the moment. We don't see around the corner. We're certainly not living in light of, of eternity, right? Let, let's look. Um, look at verse 7. And now, O oh sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. He's about to change and provide some practical insight. Up until this point, it's been some warning about sex. Now he's going to give them some practical insight, and this is really, really great advice. Uh, look at verse 8. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Right? And so what, 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 what you might want to put in the margin of your Bible is distance is best defense. That's what he's saying. He's saying you really need to move the line, if you will, when you think about sexual purity because the line for most of us, the line for most of us is sexual intercourse. And so we say, as long as I don't cross that line, then I'm fine. What Solomon is saying is you need to move the line and you don't need to go close to the line right? And so there has to be some faith-based restrictions uh, in your life. And Jesus is going to say a lot about this. We'll look at it uh, in, in just a few moments. Jesus, Jesus is going to say that too, but, but I, I want to, I'll just put your attention there and see, because that's going to be a very helpful principle. Verse 9, lest you give your honor to others and the years to the merciless. Now, let's push into verse 9 just a little bit. Like when we give in to sexual sin, sexual sin brings up so much shame in our life. And a lot of times when people say, I'm dealing with a lot of guilt and shame inside the church, I hear that all the time. Most of the time what that means is it's really from some sexual mistakes in their life. But here, here's the thing. Look at verse 9 again. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Like on this stage just a couple years ago standing right here was one of the greatest apologists or defenders of the faith uh, in our generation, Ravi Zacharias, some of you know who he was. He's just uh, recently died. But after his death, there have been just re uh, multiple reports of sexual immorality in his life, and it has rocked, literally rocked the evangelical world, 
right? And so somebody who had so much honor as a great teacher and defender of truth, now his family is just reeling with so much dishonor. And that's what Solomon is saying to his son. Listen, this brings so much dishonor to you and to your family. And he lived through that with his father, David, right? He'd experienced that, and he doesn't want his son to have to experience that. And then listen to what he says. And he says, you give the years of your life to the merciless. This is so powerful. And I pray that God would allow me to teach this well. In our culture today, we, we believe sex to be a physical, a, merely a physical act. Can I say that to you again? In the culture that we live in today, even in the church culture, we, we believe sex to be merely a physical act. And so we, we, we even use kind of uh, slang, like kind of hooking up or, you know, one night stand. And, and uh, my boys, when they're here, they always love it when I try to speak hip. They're like, Dad, please stop doing that. But the, the, the language there is like, it's just a physical, if I believe it's a physical act and, you know, there's not a problem to hooking up or just having a one-night stand, the problem is sex is, is never just a physical act. You see, sex is God's gift to us. God created it and gave it to us, and so we need to read the owner instruction. instruction. Sex is a physical act for sure, but is also emotional and spiritual. Now, one of the, one of the things that happens is in sex is it is a gift to bind or bond two people together in this oneness, right? In union as, as one. That's, that, that's what it's for. And so when he says you give the years, years, plural, years to the merciless, when you have a sexual encounter with someone, you have been in some way bonded to that person or united to that person, and not just for that one night, but in some ways the rest of your life. Now, this is hard teaching, isn't it? But he wants his son to understand that. It doesn't mean that you can't be forgiven from that, but he wants him to understand what's at stake. You see, we don't talk about this inside the church very often. I would illustrate it this way, but it would gross you out, right? Some of you are like, it can't be any worse than what's already been here for the last little bit. But, you know, if I, if I rolled up my sleeve here and, and took some duct tape and, and, and put it on my arm and just, just ripped it off, I'd squeal, like a girl, and then, but, but, but on that tape, everybody knows what's going to be on that tape, right? I mean, it's going to be just the, the hair that's ripped off of my arm, dead skin on that, because that has united to, to, to me. Now, and, and, and so the, the next time that same piece of tape is applied, it, it doesn't stick as well, right? And so you say, well, what's the point? That, that, that's what Solomon says happens when, when you think sex is just physical, you begin to give your years to the merciless. People who really don't care about you have taken some of you, right? And you'll live with some guilt and some shame and regret unless God just does this work of healing in your life. So there's a lot at stake here. I mean, when you look at breaking down this talk, I mean, he really, I mean, he explains this to his boys in a powerful, powerful way, doesn't he? Verse 10, again, he's talking about the consequences here. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, right? You'll have people that you give yourself to and then emotionally and spiritually and relationally, they will drain you on the other side of this and sap you of your strength. And then look at the second part, and your labors go to the house of the foreigner. What Solomon is saying in a nutshell is when you give yourself to sexual immorality, boy, 
It affects you spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and financially. Like he says, when your labor, in other words, what you've labored for goes to a foreigner, there's some cost that. I always tell people, you want to double your income? Everybody's like, yeah, stay married, right? I, I, I think about this, and it's, um, it's hard to talk about because I see the image in my mind of, of a dad sitting on the couch in my office, and he's just talking about what he's going through and, and saying something like this. He says, you know, there's some nights that I, I drive by the house and I just park my car and I turn off the lights and I look in and I realize that he's living in a house that I paid for. He's raising my children and he is with my wife. And this dude is weeping in my office and he says, it's, it's because I didn't listen and and I gave myself to others, and it has cost me a high price. That's what Solomon is saying to his sons. Don't let someone take that from you. And in fact, you hear the word compromise a lot. You hear about the word compromise. You know, you know what really compromise is? Compromise is when we give the enemy something he's not powerful enough to take. That's what compromise is, right? And that's what he's saying. Solomon is saying to his boys, listen, this will cost you. Read the fine print here. All right. Now, verse 11, and at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. Listen to verse 12. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. You know what Solomon is saying? Solomon is saying, hey, when I was your age, when someone was trying to talk to me about this, I didn't listen because I knew everything. Right. You see, and, and that's really the mark of pride right? That, that we wouldn't listen to what those over us are saying. And, and can I just tell you something? You don't have to learn everything the hard way. You see that? I mean, we can really learn from the Word of God, trust the Word of God. I hope there's a generation that's just raised up that think, you know what? I don't have to learn these mistakes, these sexual mistakes the hard way. It, it'll save you so much pain in the, in, in, in the future. And that's what he's saying. And, and he's really saying, he said, I lacked discipline. Solomon said, it wasn't the fact that I didn't know. I mean, I knew what I was supposed to do. I just didn't have the discipline in my life, really allowing God to give me the strength to walk in, in, in victory. Look at verse 13. I did not listen to the voice of my teacher or incline my ear to instruction. I just knew better. I just knew better. And now he's saying, now, knowing what I know now on the other side, if I could go back and have a redo, I would have listened then and I would obey. Man, I've been doing, can I just say this? I've been doing marriage counseling for a long time. I have never, ever, never, ever, I met with a ton of couples Never, ever had a couple said, you know what? I wish we had a redo. I wish we could go back and be more promiscuous when we were dating. That's what I wish we could do. No, it's always just the opposite, knowing what I know now. Verse 14, I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. In other words, he said, he's saying this at this age in my life. I think what Solomon is saying with 700 wives and maybe 300 concubines, Scripture said, Solomon understands something that to many people he's a laughing stock. He's just a man who's, who's got no moral compass in his life and he's lost honor in so many ways. And he says, I don't want that for you. Verse 15, it's about to get real. You ready? Now he's going to do what we never do in the church. The number one reason I think in our culture today why millennials are not committing their life to Christ, this is my opinion, I may be wrong, and you'll email me, which I appreciate. I think millennials are rejecting the gospel because they know what 
the Bible teaches about sex. They know enough. They know that really what the Scripture teaches is sex is between one man and one woman in the confines of marriage for life, and they reject the gospel because that's way too limiting. Whoever, who would want a life like that, right? Now, in that context, look at verse 15. Listen to what Solomon's about to lay out. Because if your kid's not out by now, it's too late. Your ride home is going to be filled with a lot of good discussion. Verse 15, he says to his boys, drink water from your own cistern. Now, a cistern in, in, in an ancient culture in, in the Middle East, every house had a cistern. Why did they have a cistern? Because it, it only rained two months out of the year, so everybody had to have a place where they stored water so they would have their drinking water through the rest of the year. And so that was a place, your cistern, right, was a place that you kept that covered and you, you, you kept that secure because you wanted to keep that pure. Why? Your drink out of it, Right? That was an important thing. He is talking about their sexuality inside of marriage like a cistern. He says, right, look at verse 15, drink water from your own cistern. You see, and why does he use water here? Because listen, for that sexual desire, he says, that's what will quench it. That's what will quench that thirst. Everybody is born with a sexual desire. We've all got an urge to merge, right? Is that, I mean, like, I never heard it put that way, bro, but yeah, okay, you got me. But here's what he's saying. He's saying maximum satisfaction is inside the confines of marriage. You drink only from your own cistern, and you protect that cistern, and you guard that cistern. And then he goes on to say flowing water from your own well, right? Again, for every God-given desire you have, there is this God-given institution. Is this institution of marriage. And when he says this flowing water, he's saying, this is what will satisfy. I mean, here's the thing that's interesting, and, and, and people don't believe this when a preacher starts talking about this, right? They don't believe that. Anytime a preacher's talking about money or sex, they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me just say this. If you take a look at the research from our culture, non-Christian research, you just take a look at sexual satisfaction statistics among our culture. You know, the highest, the highest grouping in our culture of people who have of sexual satisfaction, the most satisfied people sexually, you know what they are? Monogamous people inside the confines of heterosexual marriage. They report the highest satisfaction, and we're like surprised by that instead of understanding this is what God said all along, right? So drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the street? Now, now this gets a little graphic. He's saying, listen, for you just to have no boundaries on your sex life, for you to do whatever you want to do to satisfy yourself sex sexually is like water just flooding out into the street. Think about it. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Uh, a river needs to have boundaries, right, to keep the water there. If a river goes over its boundaries, what do we have? A flood. And what does a flood do? A flood brings what? Destruction right? And he's saying, that's what it's like for you not to have any boundaries to your sexual life. It's like flowing water out into the streets that brings destruction to you and to others. And he compares and contrasts something that's pretty interesting here that, 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 that you may not have thought about. You see that water that's outside those boundaries that is flooded, it sits and it gets stagnant. 
right? Nobody wants to drink from that. Here's what Solomon is saying is, I know what that's like. I had no boundaries. I did whatever I wanted to do, and it was stagnant. But he says, here's what I've learned. It is inside the confines of marriage that that water is flowing, that is refreshing. Isn't that a high view of marriage? Doesn't that encourage you just a little bit? Man, that's a great word, isn't it, that he's saying? I mean, and and his boys are having to listen to him talk about sex, right? But somebody needs to have the courage to, to do that. Let your fountain, look at verse 18. Here's what Solomon says, let your fountain be blessed. What is their fountain? It's their sex life. What is the scripture saying here? God's desire for your sex life is maximum satisfaction. He wants your sex life to be blessed. You say, well, I don't, it's in the scripture, Right? that your fountain may be blessed, but it's going to tell us how. And re- I love this. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. Again, what he is saying here, he's saying, listen, God wants you to have a maximum sexual experience. You believe that? Inside the confines of marriage. And then he's telling us how to do that. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. He says, focus on her, encourage her, and, and, and backwards. The, the, the wife doing that same thing to the husband. When you begin to look into each other, encourage each other, focus on each other, right? Speak tenderly to each other. Then things begin to happen. It begins to really experience greater levels of satisfaction inside your marriage. He says, the wife of your youth. Now, here's what I think he's saying here, and this is so profound. It doesn't mean that she's always going to look like she did when she was 21, and you're going to look like you did when you were 20. But as we are trusting God and honoring the Lord, then it feels better and better. This emotional experience that we are having with each other just continues to increase in levels of satisfaction. That's only what God can do. Isn't that powerful as we trust him? And then Solomon gives his son some lines because every cool dad needs to give his son some pickup lines, right? Look at verse 19. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. That may not work in the culture today. You're free to try it, fellas. What is he saying? He, uh, let me just say it this way. You think about the best marriage you know. Think about it right now. Get them in your mind, right? The best marriage you know. Here's one of the things I promise you about that couple. They speak tenderly to each other. The words that they use when they're talking to each other are so tender. They're so honoring. They look into it. You're a graceful, it may not be the graceful deer in the lovely doe line, but you know what I mean, right? Because listen, when we look out, we're going to see this today. When we look outside of our marriage, right, whether that's through porn or fantasy fiction or whatever we want to look, when we look outside our marriage, it reduces intimacy inside the marriage. But listen, when you focus inside the marriage and begin to speak tenderly, encouraging, forgiving each other, loving each other, then the intimacy begins to explode. I explain it this way. It's like building a fire. When you do those things, saying the right things, doing the right thing, turning away from the wrong things, you're placing that wood there and then it erupts into a passionate fire. That's what it can be like inside your marriage. That's what he's saying, right? Some of you are like, please get this message over for the glory of God. Verse 19, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, Look in, not out. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated with her love. We don't ever talk about that, right? Our kids don't believe that about marriage because everything that they've seen on, on television with others, uh, you know, social media, it's such a, we live in a culture today which has such a low view of marriage. But listen, when it's done right, we can be intoxicated with love and we want this more than the other. This is what will work. It's not, hey, 
Stay away from sex. It's not stay away from the wrong things. It is listen and experience the right thing that you can have. You see, you don't want to miss this. Do you see how different that is? Didn't we learn it the other way? Didn't we learn it like stay away, stay away, which made us only do what? I'm going to check that out because God's holding something behind his back. And we believe the wrong thing. We understand, understood what God wants for us, right? Then we turn away uh, from those things, and then it begins to really explode inside our relationship with the Lord. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? I think what Solomon's saying here, listen, there'll be a thrill period with a, for, a forbidden woman, then you're going to have a hangover, right? It's going to cost you a woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. Let's stop there. Here's just another reminder, just another nugget. Some of you are like, you haven't even got to your notes yet. I know. But watch this. He says, for a man's ways are fully in view of the eyes of the Lord. If you're, if you're involved in a, 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 just a full-fledged affair today, you're watching online or you're here, you think you're fooling everybody in your house, everybody in your family, God sees. That's what Solomon's saying. You clicked on a site last night after she went to bed and after the kids were in bed. You feel pretty good because you thought nobody sees. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you. Your ways are in full view of the Lord. That's what Solomon says, right? The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. Do you know what Solomon's saying? He's saying, hey, guys, listen. When I was younger, I thought freedom was out there. So I went, and I found slavery. It ensnared me. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Can I tell you, it's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that those cords can be broken, and we can begin to walk in freedom. And then listen to what he says in verse 23. He dies for lack of discipline not really taking what we know to be true and walking that out. And because of his great folly, he's led astray. I spent 30 minutes reading those 23 verses now for the sermon. <laughs> I got five points. I'm going to do them in about two minutes. Are you ready? Can we go fast? Some of you are like, oh, please. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Here's what Solomon says in these 23 verses. He says, wisdom is displayed in a pursuit of purity. You want to know what wisdom looks like? Pursue purity. Number one, wisdom listens to the right voice. That's what he says. Hey, guys, listen up. We saw it in, in the first couple of verses. Listen up. You see, there's a lot of voices in our heads today that want to tell us how to, how to live our life. We've said in this series, what is wisdom? What is the definition of wisdom? Wisdom is applying the answers of God to the questions of life. Here's what I hear more than anything else about sexual sin. Well, listen, I just want to be true to myself. I want to follow my heart. And so we let our heart lead us in these decisions. Can I ask you just to think about that for a second? I, I, I bet you don't do that in hardly any other area of your life because the Bible says our heart is deceitful above all things. Let me try to illustrate it today. If I followed my heart today, I would have showed up here about 10 o'clock in my pajama pants with a dozen and a half donuts for Krispy Kreme, right? I'd preach for a while and I'd go to Five Guys for the double, all the fries and a shake, and I'd be at Toots tonight with fried pickles and ribs. That's what I would do. And you know what I'd say? Following my heart. There's one word for a person who follows their heart. It's called death, right? Or think about that. You got to listen to the right voice, and it's the one who gave us the gift of sex. 
And it's listening to what the Word of God says about that. Now, another thing that we hear, boy, this is hard teaching. Listen, I get a lot of emails for, from this. Well, I was, I was born this way. I was born with this nature that is outside of what the Word talks about. And it's outside what you're talking about. But it can't be wrong because I was born this way. I was born, uh, some would say, with a desire for the same sex. That's the way I was born. And I just need to be true to myself. Can I tell you something? I don't have much time and I don't want to be... I don't want to be crass. I don't want to be sensitive what you're going through. We were all, every person was born with a nature that had a desire to live outside of the will of God. They're just different desires. All of our natures were outside of the will of God. J.D. Greer, who is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he, I'll, I'll use him as an example because I'd rather do that than me. He said, I was, I was born a polygamist. He said, I was born with a desire to have a sexual relationship with every attractive woman I met. It was only the grace of God, Jesus Christ coming in and allowing me to be reborn and giving me new desires to live according to his will. Do you see? That's the message of the gospel. So who are you going to listen to? Number two, wisdom sees the hook in the lure of lust. That's what Solomon is trying to do to his son. He's saying, yeah, I know it looks as sweet as honey. But guys, I promise you, there is a hook in every one of those lures of lust, and it will always cost you a whole lot more than you're willing to pay, and it will always keep you a whole lot longer than you are willing to stay. Because here's what he's saying. Lust appeals to our sexuality, but it doesn't satisfy. Can I say that to you again? Lust will appeal to our sexuality, but it doesn't satisfy it. And sexual sin always affects us physically, spiritually, financially, and emotionally. Look at number three. Wisdom has learned to move the line. Right? That's what Solomon says in, in, in verse eight. Don't go near her door. Distance yourself. Make some faith-based restrictions in your life right now. In fact, the, wrong, the line is in the wrong place. That's why you're failing. If you think the line is not to have sexual intercourse with somebody, listen, that's the, that, that's the wrong line. You need to move that back. In fact, here's what Jesus said. Listen to what Jesus said about this. This was, this was totally, totally obliterating to what most people believe. In Matthew chapter 5, listen to Jesus. He said, you've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. And everybody's like, yeah, we got that, Jesus. Right on. But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has, already, uh, lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus just moved the line back. He said, listen, it starts in your mind, right? To learn to bounce your eyes, to replace an image. You, you see an image of, of an attracted woman or an, a, a, a lady's an attractive guy and your mind begins to go. You replace that with the truth of God's word. That's why we, we, we teach here, bouncing your eyes, first look won't cost you, the second will, and replace that thought with the truth of God's word. Memorize scripture and immediately go to that. If you haven't memorized any scripture, just think about Jesus on the cross dying for your sin, right? Have some of those. Understand to move the line back. Fight that battle. Listen, why would you want to fight temptation in the future that you really have the power today to really eliminate? You see, you have a chance to kind of control the thermostat of temptation in your life. Do you see what I mean by that? All right? And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, you make some faith-based restrictions. You're not alone with someone of the opposite sex. Right? I was a youth pastor for so many years. and, and just, well, when, I, 
we was over we, we was over at my mom and dad's house. They, they were gone, and we was watching a movie, and I got tempted. I said, well, the problem wasn't in, in that temptation. The problem was way before that when you chose to be alone with somebody with nobody around. Listen, you, you got to distance yourself. And listen, that is so countercultural, right? People say that is so old school. Man, what you're teaching today is so old school. I'm telling you, it's truth, and it works, right? And that's what, that's what Solomon's saying. He said a great defense is, is distance. Now, look at the fourth thing. We're almost done. Wisdom knows God isn't limiting pleasure, but increasing it. That's what he's saying to his boys. He's saying, God doesn't want you to miss out on this. I had someone Thursday night say this. I've heard this over and over again. They said, listen, I know Jesus is coming back, but I don't want Jesus to, I don't want Jesus to come back. This is a teenage girl. I don't want Jesus to come back until I get married and I'm able to be with my husband. I don't want to miss out on that. I'd rather wait till that happens before Jesus comes back. And you know what I said to her? I said, you know what? It'd be kind of it'd be kind of like this picking your picking your favorite restaurant. You know, my favorite restaurant's Ruth Chris. If you could take me anywhere, I'd go to Ruth Chris. It's amazing. Nobody ever sits down at Ruth Chris for this amazing steak and saying, "Gosh, I wish we'd went through the drive-through at Hardee's on the way down." I hate I missed out on that. When you step into the kingdom and the fullness, it's there in the presence of God. It's not like we're saying, huh. "You see that? That was just free." I don't even know why I shared that. But, but, but God isn't about limiting your pleasure. He's about increasing your pleasure. Warren Wiersbe, this is a great quote. He said, God created sex not only for reproduction, but also for enjoyment. Do you believe that? Yeah, right. And he didn't put the marriage wall, right? What we might see is a, this law of sex inside of marriage. One man, one woman inside of marriage. He didn't put the marriage wall around sex to rob us of pleasure, but to increase pleasure and protect it. That's a good word, isn't it? That's seeing it totally, totally different. And anytime we look outside our relationship, it always, always limits the passion inside our marriage. Now, last thing, give me a second. Here's what I want you to say. Some of you are like, man, that's been the longest 40 minutes of my life. My kids are sitting in here, bro. Every single person in this room, most likely, is carrying some amount of sexual guilt and shame. Everyone in this room. Everyone in this room would say, you know what, there's, there's, there's something from my past that just keeps robbing me of my future, a mistake I've made sexually, and I've got guilt and shame there. Can I tell you something? Wisdom understands this. Wisdom doesn't play the shame game. And you say, well, how do you know that? Solomon, a man who made multiple mistakes sexually. Would you agree with that? 700 wives, 300 concubines. Not a picture of purity. But watch, he's talking to his boys about God's purity for their life. Most parents I know say this. I can never talk to my kids about what God's standard is because I didn't meet that standard. Well, let me tell you a couple things. You're not the standard. You're not telling them to be like you. You're showing them what the Word says so they can be like Christ and what He desires for their life. So that's the first thing, right? Hang on. Secondly, I want to show you the enemy's winning. He's winning in your life, and now it's spreading to the next generation. That's what shame does. Shame will make you pay, and then it'll make your kids pay and your kids' kids pay because it's keeping you silent, Right? Sex is Satan's easiest door to shame us. Listen to what I'm about to say. Sexual sin is not the worst sin. 
There's so many people that believe that. Sexual sin is the worst sin. Sexual sin is not the worst sin, but it does carry the worst shame. And shame makes us feel unworthy. And shame makes us hide. And here's what Satan always tries to do. Watch this. This is so important. Satan always attempts to connect the act to our identity. Right? So when we're involved in an immoral act, Satan wants to connect that act to our identity. Right? I'm an adulterer. I'm a divorcee. And on and on and on it goes. Why? Because he wants to keep you into guilt and shame. And can I tell you something? Secrecy. Secrecy will always be the enemy of intimacy. Listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs 28. Watch this. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. What is mercy? It's God's grace. It's God's release. It's his power to liberate you from shame. But can I tell you something? You will never find healing in the dark. Healing for a pornography addiction. Healing for a same-sex attraction. Healing for just a ton amount of guilt and shame over an abortion years ago. Or multiple, multiple marriages that fell or multiple sexual partners in the past, you'll never find healing in the dark. You know, God doesn't often remove the giants in our life. I hear people say this, why, why doesn't God just take away, take away this desire that I have? One of the reasons is because, because the Father wants to keep you completely dependent upon Him. But God doesn't often remove the giants in our life, but he will allow us strength to begin to slay them and walk in victory. And I will promise you, one of the strengths to you walking in victory is confessing. Confessing to the Father, and then here's the hard part, to a trusted friend, to one of our staff members, let somebody else in to your battle. And you will begin to find liberation. We're going to give you a chance to do that. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand all over this place. The band's coming out. We're going to sing a song that just declares this, that we're running to the Father, running in confession, running to other believers. The next steps room is open. If you'd like to talk with somebody from prayer, we have that right now. But as you're standing and stretching, I see that. I would be stretching too. Can I have your attention for a second? This is the most important thing. We're a sex-crazed culture. The problem is you're looking for more than that. You just didn't know it. Because sex doesn't ultimately satisfy, but it does illustrate what you're looking for. Because deep down you have a longing to unite. You want to be connected. What's in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a chance to be connected with the creator of the universe, to literally be in Christ. And that's what you've been looking for all your life. You want to be completely loved, you will find it in a relationship with him. You want to be covered, you want to be satisfied, that's what he brings when you run to him. But you've just been running to the wrong things. 
We have a chance to do that. The altar is going to be open today if you'd like to come and pray. The next steps room is open with people who'd love to pray with you, encourage you. For those who have the courage to bring some things to light, there will be healing and freedom for you.